Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our study today. Jesus, thank you for your word, and that it never turns back void. Thank you for the purpose that you have in our lives, God, to draw us um, unto you, to make us more like Jesus. Lord, just uh, ask that you would have your way in our hearts and minds, that the cares of this day, Lord, um, the cares of the things we may have been dealing with before coming here or even getting to church or whatever whatever uh, may be in our life, God, that might be a distraction from, from you, Lord, just ask that you would, um, may that just melt away like wax, Lord, in your presence, Father. Thank you that you um, are sovereign, that you're in control, that you can use um, our frailties, our insecurities, our shortcomings, Lord, um, to draw us to a place of recognizing that you're Lord. And Father, may you be the Lord of our lives, Lord. May you be our strength. May you be our hope. Um, Lord, we just again, Lord, lift up Ukraine and what's going on there, Father. We just pray that your hand would be upon everyone involved, Lord. Uh, lift up all the missionaries that are there, Lord, and that the church planters, Lord, and um, those that are in Russia as well, Father God, um, that you would have your hand upon them as well, Lord. Pray for um, Hong Kong, um, Lord, that you would have your hand upon the church in, in China, um, Lord, that you would just uh, stir your people up, Father. Thank you that in the midst of trials and uncertainties, Lord, that that doesn't move you, that doesn't shake you, Lord. You're a solid rock, our foundation, and I pray that you would cause us to um, just come closer to the understanding of that in our lives, Lord. Thank you for again for your word. I just pray that you would guide, guard, and direct this study, Lord, as we continue through Ephesians. And uh, pray for each and every person here, that you would just uh, just bless them today, Lord. Those who couldn't make it today, just again, just pray for them. Those that are online, use the technology uh, that we have to further your gospel, to teach your people, to draw people unto you, Lord. And uh, we just praise you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. So, um, you know, it's fascinating to me... Uh, and this is just the miraculous power of God's people and His church. And we always have to remember, like we've been reading um, in Ephesians, you know, the church is His. Um, it's not man-made. It's not something that um, God created. Some people have a misunderstanding. They look at church as man's institution. And some religions have created that. They've marred really the miraculousness of that's even a word, of, of God's church. And um, uh, there's believers in Ukraine right now that actually, I, I, I get notifications, there's a pastor there, and the Lord's really been using him to get information about the church and the ministry. He's a church planner there and pastor. And I saw a write-up that he uh, posted, I think it was last night because they're on a different timeline. But Churches are actually being planted right now in Ukraine. Um, the The gospel goes forth even when bombs are being dropped. Um, he posted last week that they did a wedding two days after the war started. Um, you know, there they have bomb shelters that they go to that are in their neighborhood, and so he's in there in the bomb shelter, and he's having opportunity to share the love of Christ with his neighbors. And... Um, 
That's really how we're to be as believers when situations come up in our lives that are just chaotic, you know. Um, we need to really lean on the Lord and trust Him. And, uh, and He empowers His church to do things that don't make sense at times. And so, you know, we see things coming across the news of the horrible things going on in Ukraine. It is horrible. But then to see in this portion of Ukraine um, a, a fire being birthed in believers to where churches are being planted that weren't planted, you know, people might have been on the fence about doing it. And um, it's just a really an, a neat thing to see God working in the midst of a horrible tragedy. And that by far is not discounting any of the deaths or any of the horrible things that go on. Um, but God can use any circumstance to, to radically change a community. <clears throat> and uh, I, I'd, I'd ask you folks to be praying for Olive Hurst. Um, I don't know if you know, but there was a shooting across the street. I mentioned it last week. And I found out that um, they were all elementary age kids. They all were from one school. And uh, it, it's just really stirred my heart to um, draw and reach out to other pastors in the area to start praying for this community. Um, you know, tragedies like that are because of sin. Death, disease, trauma, wars, it's all because of man's flesh. Obviously, you know, with what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, there's things that are in play now for end-time prophecies coming into play. We know that God's in control of all those things. Um, but when I see something like this across the street, I mean, you know, we were, we were here, and um, I don't want the death of this young child to be in vain. And it's just really moved me, maybe because the Lord's placed all of her in my heart. Um, and so I ask you guys, you know, you're part of this journey with me, you know, just be praying for what the Lord wants to do in this community. And this last week, and this doesn't have anything to do with my message, so I'm sorry, but um, this last week, I'm just praying and thinking and praying and thinking. And, and sometimes when you start seeking God's face, you feel useless, sometimes. And um, I was wanting to share this on Facebook and stuff, and, and I didn't share this because I didn't want it to be misconstrued. Um, I have a sense that I'm a useless man in a town full of death and darkness, Okay. And part of you guys are like, well, what are you saying? Well, I'm sharing with you a piece of me on the inside. Um, when we come to a place of recognizing the inability that we have as a human being to be able to move something supernatural in a community, that's when God starts working. And I want to share that with you guys so that you can be praying for yourselves and for this ministry and for the churches in this town to stop doing church and actually start ministering to the community. This community needs to see Jesus, and He's asked us as Christians to be that that. And, you know, I'm not saying death and darkness as a condemnation of the community, but it's been said that there's things in here that have been gone on for generations. And a lot of people are hopeless with that, and they come to the community as leaders and schools and churches, and they're here for three years, and they're gone because their expectations of what they wanted to have happen in the community don't get met, and they go somewhere else where they can feel good about their expectations being met. Well, this community needs to see people stand for Jesus, and it starts with prayer. Um, without prayer, we can't be, you know, um, taken away or, or torn down or humbled by the Lord. And if we're not humble in the, in the presence of God, we can't really hear from a holy God. We just hear from our own thinking. 
And so these are just some things I've experienced this last week. And, you know, I just, uh, just be praying. We, we were thinking about how do we, you know, how do we reach this community? You know, what do we do for the students? And you know what's amazing? It's like, I drive here and I see these schools and we can drive by schools, you know, and not, you know, think about them much, but I drive by, there's, you know, there's three elementary schools in this community. There's, there's a junior high, there's a continuation school, and then there's a high school. And, you know, um, I'm not a youth pastor anymore, but man, somebody said years ago that a way into this community is through the children, through the youth. I don't know what that translates into, and I don't think Gideon knew what his ministry was either. He was just hiding in a wine press, and the Holy Spirit, the Lord came and called him out to do his ministry, you know? And he even went out and tore down idols at night because he was afraid. So even in the midst of our fear, God can use us. And I just want to implore you and encourage you guys to just be asking God, Lord, what in the world do you want me to do at Metanoia or in my own life? It starts, you know, with asking God, hey, Lord, here I am. How do you want to use me? And God will use you in a great way. And so um, there, church is over. <laughs> it's like a, what is it, a, an introduction in a book and then a foreword? I hate reading those things. I'm like, I just want to get into the book, but I end up reading them, and then I fall asleep and don't start the book sometimes. So Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 7 through 16 today, and uh, it's just interesting how Paul switches gears here. Prior to verse 7 in Ephesians, if you hadn't been following, go back and listen to the messages. Um, Chapter 4, up until this point, verse 7, and up up until this section of, of, of Ephesians, we learned how as believers in Jesus Christ, there's unity in the body of Christ. Um, there's no separation between Jews or Gentiles. Uh, we're all one in Jesus Christ. And so Paul lays that out because they had felt this separation because the Judaizers had come along after the church of Ephesus was planted and, and tried to tell them, hey, you have to do all these different things, become circumcised for, you know, to walk with God and all such not. And, and, and the Lord allowed Paul to come alongside them and encourage them with this letter that he's writing. And Paul's in He's, he's under house arrest. He's in prison in Rome when he writes this letter to them. So we see here, beginning in verse 7, that now the subject moves from what is common in, in the believers. In other words, what is common as a whole for the church to what is now available um, to an individual believer. See, there's two parts. We have the commonality, the unity the, uh, of the body of Christ, and then God also has a ministry to us individually um, as it pertains to what He has given us in our relationship with the Lord. So verse uh, 7 of chapter 4 of, of Ephesians, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So what we see here as believers in Jesus Christ, each one of us, we receive grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one, this means individual believers in Jesus Christ receives this gift of grace. Each person receives grace from uh, the Lord through Jesus Christ. Uh, Grace, it means unmerited favor. You've heard me say that before. So this unmerited favor from God. In other words, we did nothing to earn these gifts. It's not learned or gained by human achievement. You can't go to church and get it. You can't listen to a pastor and get it. You can't go to school and get it. You can't have millions of dollars to get it. You can't buy it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. 
It's given to us because of his love for us, his grace. That's what it means, unmerited favor. God favors you in spite of you. Praise the Lord that he favors us in spite of us. It's an amazing thing. The closer we get to the Lord in our walk with him, the more we realize that we can't offer him anything, and the more we realize that this grace is just this, this amazing gift. And so we see here in verse 7 that, that each one of us, each person, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's not according to your measure. It's not according to your knowledge. It's not according to your understanding. It's according to Christ. I love that. We can't take any glory for it or any credit of it. Verse 8 says, Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So Paul's quoting from Psalm 68, 18. Christ ascended to heaven. He conquered all of his foes, Satan, sin, death, everything that has to do with that. It's already been done. It's already been conquered, okay? Well, you may say, well, Brian, you know, I deal with this and that and, and these things in my life. Well, okay, in the um, perspective of who we are in Jesus, when Christ died on the cross, was buried and rose again, he did away with the power of sin and death over mankind. He broke that bondage off, okay? A lot of times in our walk with Christ, it, we're really in an identity crisis. You know, we don't know who we are. We don't know what we've been given by the Lord. That's what I'm always dealing with. I look, I, I, I don't know about you, but I look through the lens of Brian's insecurities, Brian's failures. Brian, you know, that's how I view myself. But in, in the light of who Christ is and who I am in Him, that's not how God sees me. So Christ ascended to heaven. He conquered all of his foes, Satan, sin, and death. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad for that. We're given individual gifts by grace through, his, through the Holy Spirit because of Christ. When Christ ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to those that believe in him. John chapter 16, verse 7 says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. It is to your advantage that I go away. And you have to remember that he was talking to his disciples, those that loved him, they walked with him, they did ministry with him. And here is this person that's God, that's, that's with them. They knew who Jesus was. And he's saying, I need to leave you. Could you imagine that situation? But he goes on, he says, advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So there's such comfort in this. As a believer, yes, I can't touch Jesus. I can't see him physically, but I believe that the word of God is true of who and what and how it says that Jesus was and walked and what he did on this earth, his ministry, this crucifixion, his, his, his burial, his death, his resurrection, and what he gives me as a believer. And this is confirmed because when I make a decision for Jesus by confessing my sins with my mouth and believing in my heart that God raised him from the dead, in Romans it says that I will be saved, saved from hell, saved from the power of sin and death that I no longer have to walk in that. I may fail in those things, but it's not power and dominion over me. And then this is what he gives me, a helper. How many like helpers? I like helpers. I need helpers all the time. I got four little ones at home. But this goes beyond that. And I love that the Lord, the, the, the Holy Spirit allowed the writer of John to write this, the helper. Parakletos is what it means. It's the Holy Spirit. The helper will not come unless he leaves, not come to you. But when I depart is what he's saying, I will send him to you, okay? 
So as a Christian, we have this amazing helper called the Holy Spirit. You're like, Brian, are you going to get all weird on us? No, I'm not going to get all weird on you. But I'm going to share with you what you get when you become a believer. And it's an amazing thing. The Holy Spirit can help us in time of need. He can reassure us of God's Word. He can comfort us in ways that we can't be comforted. See, God knows you, right? He knows every part of you. He understands every part of you. He's omnipresent, means He's everywhere all at once. He's omniscient, which means He knows everything at once. Okay, so that's a fact. We know that about God. And so if God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all God, but yet individual personalities for a purpose to be able to bring glory to God through the ministry of God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit that's given to us is God. So that means that He knows who we are and what we're about and what He needs to be about in our life so that we can be secure in Jesus. It's an amazing thing. So don't look at who the Holy Spirit is and look at it as a separate thing, quote-unquote, from God. He is not. He is God, but in spirit. So when we give our life to Christ, we receive. There's something that happens to a believer in the twinkling of an eye. The Holy Spirit is given to you and dwells inside of you. That's why some people, you hear this testimony and you're like, I'm different, okay? There's radical transformation that occurs in a believer's life. It's not learned. It's not something that you go to, you know, some sort of school to learn how to, you know, do these things. It's something that God gives us the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can be a believer and live a life in a carnal fashion and not have the power or sense of the Holy Spirit in your life. I've lived that way. But I love it that God's Word says that He's never going to leave me nor forsake me. Once I'm His, I'm His. How that all works, I don't know because I'm a critical, condemning person that wants to point fingers at people's issues. But God doesn't do that with me, so why should I do that with others? Now, will he let issues in my life cause me to fail and fall down on my face so that out of his wisdom and knowledge and understanding might cause me to be able to actually grovel at his feet and say, Lord, please forgive me for my sins that I might be able to walk with you. Please empower me. Please help me. That's what our sin in our life should do or our failures. We should confess our sins to him. God's word says that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not because of what we did, but because of his love for us. It's amazing. So when we give our life to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. That is the gift given to all believers when they make a decision for the Lord. John 14, 16 through 17 says this, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. See, I want you to understand what that means, abide. Do you know what abide means? We don't use that word a lot. It means commune, hang out, not leave, okay? Okay. Some of us, our phone abides with us forever. But I mean, it means he'll abide with you forever. And that word forever, you know, it means literally, it transcends the clock. It transcends the calendar in our life. It, 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 it supersedes any issue in our life that we may have. And it's so important for us to understand that. Verse 17 continues in John 14, the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit is truth, not a liar. God is truth. Jesus is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. There's nothing that is a lie. He is the actual definition of truth. So the Holy Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. So those that are not believers, they can't receive it. They can't have it. There's nothing that they can do to get it. It's something special that's been um, set aside for those who believe in Jesus, who've made him the Lord of their life. 
Verse 17 continues, it says, because it neither sees him nor knows him. So listen to that. You, you know, we can, and I tell people this, you know, if somebody's drinking or partying or, 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 or doing whatever they're doing in their life and they don't know the Lord, they don't have a relationship with Jesus, well, they're just going to be who they are until the Lord knocks on their door and the Holy Spirit takes the scales from their eyes and reveals to them their need for a Savior. Until then, they can't see any of this stuff. The world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. And it's interesting when you use that word sees or knows, it's actually constituting a decision to turn away from something. You know something when you look at it and try and understand it. You don't know something when you don't look at it and you don't try and understand it. That's why we need to pray for the cities and towns and the areas and, 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 and the neighborhoods that we live in that those around us might see Jesus. Continuing in verse 17 here of John chapter 14, but you know him. I love this distinction that's made. You know him. You know the Holy Spirit for he dwells with you and will be where? In you, okay? It's not something we have to conjure up. There's some churches out there that are not doctrinally sound when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and a believer, and you got to conjure them up and, and make this stuff happen, all this stuff. But this is a promise that the Holy Spirit lives inside of a believer and dwells inside of a believer and abides inside of a believer. We can rest in that. That's how people are planting churches in Ukraine right now. Not because they're like, oh, we better do this for humanitarian sake. No, we better do this because people are going to die soon and they need to know the Lord. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says this. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a gift that we get, man. It's amazing that God himself dwells in a believer. You're like, Brian, I don't understand that. You're right, I don't either, but it is what it is. I can't comprehend that. Grace, unmerited favor from God. In other words, we did nothing to earn these gifts. It is not learned or gained or human achievement. These gifts are differing from one another. Now, this is speaking also of gifts that are given um, by the Holy Spirit um, through... Uh, so back in verse 7, but each one of his grace is given according to the measure of Christ's gift, okay? And then verse 8, he also says at the end, and gave gifts to men. So there's another study that we're going to do one day pertaining to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they're given to um, the believer for the ministry and for the furthering of the church, aside from what Ephesians 4.11 speaks about, about apostles, um, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, but this also encompasses the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives people for ministry, um, and so that's also in Corinthians and other parts of the, the Bible. And so as I was preparing, I placed part of this in my notes as well, um, so that because the scripture here isn't only for verse 11, it's actually for the gifts that are given to uh, believers through Christ and what he did. So you can't read uh, 7 and 8 and not and, and negate um, the gifts as a whole. Um, so I wanted to make mention of them, but that's not going to be the basis of today's study. Does that make sense? People are like, yeah, I'm just going to nod because I don't know what you meant. It's okay. Smile and nod. So these gifts are differing from one another. Um, we're not all given the same gifts, but they are all for the purpose God has ordained for the church, the body of Christ 
to operate in this world to glorify Him. That's the purpose of gifts, okay? These giftings are for the furthering of the gospel in the world and the building up of the church. They are gifts that are to be used, okay? If you know the Lord, and I'm reading this, and the Holy Spirit's like, you know, you're like, I, I, I don't know what my gift is. Well, start asking God. These, God gives gifts to people for His ministry. Um, and I, I need to make a note here, too, uh, speaking in generality of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives people, besides from the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, these are not gifts in the sense of natural-born talents. Some people are mechanically gifted. Some are more intelligent than others. Some have better motor skills than others. Um, this gifting is not speaking of those types of natural talents, okay? That's not what this is speaking about. The gifts are given by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit by grace for the edifying of the church, which is this, the people, to empower the individual believer for the good works God has set out for him or her to go do. Church is an action place. Um, unfortunately, in the culture we're in, there's been certain movements within the church where it's just been entertainment, sit and watch and you go home and that's it. That's not what God has actually asked the church to be. And for us to accomplish as the believer what God wants us to be, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us gifts to do those things. And God's word outlines what those are. We'll do another study about more in depth about gifts. We don't have time to do that today. But we will talk about um, the certain gifts that are mentioned here also uh, in Ephesians uh, 4. So verse 9, Ephesians 4, now this he ascended. So Paul talks about Christ here. He ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? You're like, huh. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So what this is saying is Christ was in heaven. He always was. He has, wasn't created. Some religions believe that he was born, and that's when he was brought into existence. Well, that's false. That's not biblically correct. Um, there's evidence in Genesis about the Godhead. It talks about um, we. You see plurality in there. Um, God said, you know, to... I always get Moses and Noah messed up. But God said to Moses, you know, when he asked, who, who do I tell Pharaoh who sent me? He says, I am. I am sent you. Jesus makes reference to that in Revelations, that he is I am. Um, so scripturally, undeniably speaks about the commonality of Christ and God and also Christ being in heaven prior. So he wasn't created. Um, so Christ was in heaven, came to earth, is what verse 9 and 10 is speaking about. He came to earth, walked upon the earth, was crucified, buried, then three days later, resurrected back to life. He was physically seen by his disciples at his resurrection and also over 500 people. Roy's shaking his head, no, he's hot. He scared me for a second. He's like, no, that's not what it means. I'm like, yes, it is. And then he starts going like this. I'm like, okay. I got really scared. I was waiting for lightning. Sorry. Actually, I'm not. I think it's fun being fun. Um, thanks, Roy. Lost my train of thought. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. No. <laughs> Did somebody say no? Oh, man. So Christ, 
Christ was in heaven, came to earth, walked upon the earth, was crucified, buried, then three days later resurrected back to life, was physically seen by his disciples and over 500 people. Um, they witnessed him physically, okay? He wasn't some aberration, aberration, or how do you say the apparition? He wasn't some ghost or anything. He physically uh, was there. There was a physical resurrection of Christ. How many people have resurrected from the dead physically um, and ascended into heaven? There's only one. It's Jesus. Um, the disciples actually saw him ascend into heaven. Um, they saw him go up, and we know that Scripture tells us that he ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. The right side of a throne is authority and power. That's what it symbolizes. Um, Christ, uh, you read the latter part of verse 10, um, where, you know, it says that he might fill all things. Um, he is above all things and the fulfillment of all things. Christ is above all things. He's our God. He's above all things in our lives. He is God. He's preeminent. Verse 11 says, and he himself, oh, let me make mention here. Some, some people expounded upon uh, verse 9 and 10 while I was studying pertaining to when Jesus, you know, took the keys from Hades and when he went in and preached to those that had been in Hades, Hades being not hell, but a place of separation prior to coming to heaven. And, and so there's a lot of, um, not controversy about that at all. It's just from the context of what Paul is writing here pertaining to um, Jesus uh, ascending and descending here. It's not speaking in context to when his ministry occurred um, while he was uh, 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 in the grave, okay? And so it's important. I just wanted to make note of that. Um, and so I was really struggling with, okay, Lord, how do we get into that? Because that's a whole nother study. And uh, what we need to know here, though, is that now where verse 9 and 10 says, now this he ascended. Okay, what does it mean? Paul continues, he expounds, but that he also first descended the lower parts of the earth. So the lower parts of the earth, earth itself, he was here physically, okay? Um, and he who descended, which is Christ also, the one who ascended far above all heavens. So he's speaking about Christ coming to earth from existing in heaven prior to that, his earthly ministry, and then him um, ascending to heaven and that he might fulfill all things, all things being prophecy spoken to him. Christ fulfilled everything that was ever written about him. There wasn't one thing that wasn't ever fulfilled by him that was written about him prior in, in the Old Testament, okay? It's important to know that. What God says he'll do is what he will do. He is absolutely trustworthy. So verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, okay? So where it's he himself, he himself, supreme power. Christ has supreme power, okay? He absolutely has authority to give gifts to people, and here's what these gifts are. So, and, and, and so that I gave a, a more concise description of these gifts, um, I, I um, took what uh, Warren Wiersbe uh, describes the position of apostle. He says this, the word means, and this is, uh, 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 you know, it means one who is sent with a commission, okay? So sent out, commissioned from God. Uh, Jesus had many, and it's important to understand this, he had many disciples, okay? Not just 12. He had many disciples. We know that because he sent out 70 and they came back. So it wasn't just the 12. It started out with the 12. But he had many disciples, uh, but he selected 12 apostles. And if you want to jot these scriptures down, you can. I didn't put them on the screen. Matthew 10, uh, 1 through 4 uh, talks about that. Um, and a disciple is a follower or a learner. So we're all disciples of Christ. We're learning from the Lord. Me, you, we, and we learn through, through, through the word. Okay, so we're followers. We're learners. But an apostle is a divinely, listen, is a divinely appointed representative the apostles 
were to give witness of the resurrection. Jot down Acts chapter 1, verse 15 through 22. So they physically witnessed the incarnate, resurrected body, personhood of Jesus Christ. They literally saw him like I see you, okay? That was a requirement, okay? And therefore had to have seen the risen Christ personally, okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1 through 2, you can jot that down, speaks about that. Now, um, when I referenced this section of Ephesians a few uh, sermons ago, I made mention that apostles and prophets were no longer needed for today, and so I skipped over those to uh, evangelism, pastors, teacher. If, excuse me, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And here's why. In the context of what an apostle was or a prophet at the time, did the church exist? This was a birthing of the church. So whenever we read the Bible, and this is, we have to not only read scriptures prior to the verse, after the verse, the whole book or the whole chapter, but we also have to look at, you know, the who, what, when, where, and why. The context of it is extremely important. And so when you're reading the Bible, you can grab a commentary, you can, you can use all sorts of different resources. Um, if you don't have this app, please put this app on your phone. It's called Blue Letter Bible, okay? It's an extremely... Is that better? I mean, Chris was ready to pray and go home and eat. <laughs> so, uh, back to Warren Wiersbe, what he said about apostles. There are no apostles today, and listen, you guys, in the strictest New Testament sense, okay? It's very important you understand that, okay? As it pertains to people that physically saw Jesus' resurrected body and actually were sent out to go tell people about the resurrected Christ, okay? Um, and, and, and these were the 12 apostles in the strictest sense, okay? That's what this is talking about. These men helped to lay the foundation of the church, the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. You can jot that down. And once the foundation was laid, there's no longer a need for it. There's not. There's no, we're not redoing the foundation of the church. It's not happening. That's not needed. Anybody that tries to tell you that, they're not being biblically sound in that. Um, now, in the sense of uh, one sent out with a commission, sure. You know, in a general sense, we're all commissioned by God and sent out to go tell people about Jesus, but we aren't the apostles that the Scripture is talking about here. It, it's a very uh, important thing to understand. Um, also, one thing that uh, was... Uh, 
marked by an apostle in this section of the timeline of the earth when the church was being founded um, was that uh, they did miracles. Miracles are something that uh, were part of um, that ministry. So, uh, and that's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. So, we shouldn't demand miracles today. We shouldn't demand these things to happen. Are miracles uh, possible by the power of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. 100%. You know? Um, but those that say, hey, I have the gift of healing, and they just start trying to heal everybody, I don't necessarily know that that is something that's always continually that they can just snap their finger in. I think there's certain moments in time when the Holy Spirit, if somebody's actually walking with the Lord, listening to Him, broken by Him, know that they're a vessel that's useless and hopeless without God in a humble position, and they're actually hearing from the Holy Spirit, and they say, all right, well, maybe this is something God wants me to do. Because it's not us doing the work, it's the Lord doing the work. And in this section this, of time, this was the Lord doing the work to birth His church. Same with prophet. We tend to think of someone with the gift as a person that foretells the future, right? Prophets foretell the future. In the New Testament sense, though, and what was going on here, there was no Bible. No one, there was no written word of God. We didn't have this when this was happening, when Paul's writing this. Paul was writing it. It didn't exist. So there was no New Testament at the time. So a gift of prophecy was given so that the words of God, okay, would be spoken to people. And remember, this is in the context of Ephesians 2 and what Paul's writing about, about these gifts of prophet and, 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 and apostle. Uh, a New Testament prophet is one who proclaims the word of God. Literally, this is the word of God. There are prophets in the Old Testament that did that. Um, it's a very scary thing if somebody says, God is telling me that you are this. Well, I don't necessarily want to hang my hat on that, you know? it's important whenever the Lord's moving in our life in a sense of speaking something out that might be from the Lord, be super scared and super careful. And also it needs to line up with the word of God. There's nothing new spoken of that isn't already in here. The gift of prophecy, if somebody has it and they share what might be unfolding, it has to line up in the context of scripture. But in the context of what was going on that Paul was writing about, this was pertaining to God using people because the word of God hadn't existed and he was using men and women to speak about God and what he wanted to occur, literally the voice of God to man, okay? So we see here um, for the, in the New Testament time that along with this gift, of apostles and the gift of prophets. It was for the founding of the church in this sense. Um, Believer's Bible commentary states this, there can be no, listen you guys, there can be no inspired prophetic additions to the body of Christian doctrine today. There's nothing new. It's all here, okay? If somebody says, oh, there's something new God's doing. No, God's not doing something new. He, it might be new for you because you haven't experienced it yet, but there's no new doctrine being created through prophecy. It's not, it doesn't exist. It's a lie if somebody states that. Okay, it's very important that we understand that. And this is because since the faith has been once for all delivered to the saints, okay? 
we have been given the Word of God. Jude 3 says this, Beloved, will, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. It's a final thing. We've been given the message of God through His Word. So, a prophet today is simply someone who proclaims the mind of God as it has been shown in the Bible. Remember, you know, I've heard it said before in this from other pastor I've been under, this is the, and don't take offense, please. I've listened to my message before. Gosh, Brian, don't say that, but I'm going to say it again. This is the idiot filter. It really is. You can stake your life on the Bible. So Strong's says this, Strong's a study uh, book. Strong says this, all modern prophecy that is true is but the republication of Christ's message. The proclamation and expounding of truth already revealed in Scripture. God's not revealing anything new. His Scripture's already revealed all things to us, okay? Even when some, and I, man, I, I was listening, you know, I listen to everyone because there's no other good Christian radio station. I don't have a new stereo in my car. I play my own stuff off of Spotify and stuff. But I was listening on the way here, and they had these sound bites from people, man. And I was listening to this one person, and they're like, oh, yeah. And, and the way this woman is speaking, it's like she's trying to speak out God into people. And Gene and I, when we were doing, you know, music ministry, we played at all sorts of different churches. I remember this one woman came up to us and she tried to tell Gina that she was called to be a worship leader. And Gina said, I already am a worship leader and anything you're telling me has nothing to do with God because God's already revealed these things to me. So we have to be careful. Like, what we let come into our ears and what we want to believe and what we found our lives on or our belief system, and it has to line up with Scripture because there's people out there that say things that want to look good and powerful under the guise of a title of prophet or apostle. It's very, very important. Okay? So evangelists, evangelists is this, those that preach the good news of Jesus Christ to those around them with an understanding that people are lost in their sins. Without Jesus Christ, there is usually a result, I'm sorry, that they, they, they share the gospel with those around them with an understanding that people are lost in their sins without Christ. There is usually a result of the, hear, of the hearer making a decision for Christ. Those with the gift of evangelism should go out preaching the good news of the gospel and bring those that have made a decision for Christ back to a church. Any, um, you know, well-known evangelist that I've ever gone in and been a part of, Luis Palau or, or, or Billy Graham, um, you know, uh, they've always um, gone in and partnered with local churches, and then they shared the gospel with the mass crowds, however they get them to gather, and then the local churches would go and meet with those that make decisions and bring them back to the church so they get money from them. No, so they can be built up in the Word of God and have 
um, a foundation built in their life. And so an evangelist is like Billy Graham, Luis Palau. There's other evangelists out there, you know, where they know that that's their calling is to present the gospel to those. And, 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 and the purpose is to draw them into making a decision for Jesus. It's a very needed thing. And it's something that is today, there are evangelists, okay? Because there's people that don't know the Lord and people need to go out and share Christ with those that, they, that don't know the Lord. <laughs> Pastor and teacher, okay? Pastor and teacher is a singular position, of course, and again, we're just expounding on verse 11 of Ephesians 4. Pastor and teacher. A pastor and teacher is a singular position. Um, in the Greek, it's hyphenated. It's pastor slash or dash teacher, okay? Um, so it's a dual role. Pastor, and it's important to understand that, means shepherd. It doesn't mean, hey, the head of the church like the Pope or any of those positions that actually try and demand, you know, accolations or anything. It's a shepherd, okay? Somebody who looks after um, the sheep. And, you know, that term is a derogatory term nowadays, but it's, the, it's, it's what God allowed. I mean, back then, there were sheep and shepherds. It was a big deal back then. They were all over the place. And so a pastor is a shepherd. The people in the church, the, they're, they're the flock of God. They're, the, they're the, the followers of God, and the pastor's job is to shepherd them. And what does a shepherd do? You know, he keeps sheep from, you know, being in danger. He feeds them. He takes care of them. He makes sure the stable has cushy chairs and that, you know, the bathroom's cleaned and that there's water and that the air conditioner's on and that the live stream's working so that people that are out of the building here have something to hear. Really, it's a, sh a servant unto people, okay? An under-shepherd and under being under Christ, and this is a gift that God gives people. Remember, these are gifts given by the Lord to people. Gift of evangelism, gift of prophecy, gift of apostles that was pertaining to um, the birthing of the church, gift of evangelism to going out nowadays because there's people who need to know the Lord, and the gift of pastor-teacher because the people that come to know the Lord need to sin under somebody who teaches them the Bible appropriately and cares about their soul. So, the flock of God, His people, His church. This is to serve them, like I said, by looking after them, caring for their well-being, especially their spiritual health. And this is accomplished by teaching them the Word of God, to teach the Word of God in a way that the hearer can apply it to their life. Some churches, you know, they say, okay, we have a pastor. Okay, well, maybe he takes care of people, but all he does is give self-help, you know, things or his own concepts of things or, or whatever. And I, I it just... Why? We need to learn from the Word of God. We need to be hearing from the Word of God. It's important. It's an important place. So in all of this, okay, verse 12, for the equipping, it's not for the person to be lifted up or anything. It's for the equipping of the saints. You are the saints. I'm the saint. The saint because Christ dwells in us. We're His saints. For why? Why are we to be equipped? So that we can sit there and do nothing? No, for the work of ministry, okay? for the edifying of the body of Christ. So these areas of gifts that are given by the Lord are for the equipping of the people of God, their equipping of the, chair, of the saints, to build you up, not to tear you down. A few Sundays ago, I got really emotional. I started talking really loud. My dad's like, man, you sounded like a Baptist preacher. My mom was elbowing, he's yelling. I don't ever wanna draw attention to myself. 
I want you guys to be built up. That's why I, I, I pray and say, Lord, what do you want us to do here? That's why I, I felt led to do the foundations class. If some of you are new believers and you're unsure of your walk or whatnot, come to, come to a Wednesday night study, you know? Come on prayer the fourth Sunday a month, um, you know? Go back and listen to the sermons if you want. I mean, the whole book of Acts is on there that we talked. Go find another pastor. Learn from as many Bible teachers as you possibly can to give yourself the tools needed, okay? Just like um, Pastor Kevin from Calvary Chapel, Yuba City, he gave a great message on what's happening in, in Russia, okay? And how it pertains to prophecy of unfolding for, for what in the world. He gave a great uh, sermon on Ezekiel 38 and 39, okay? So did um, Pastor Austin at Gray Avenue Christian Church, you know? I love it that I know other men that know God's Word and that teach God's Word and that are sound in their teaching of it. I don't know everything, and, I, and they'll be the first of people to tell you they don't know everything either, you know? But it's important that we surround ourselves with teachers that actually teach the Word of God and not their own concepts, and it's important to understand, too, that this is a gift that God has given these people to do these things. Um, and it's the purpose to build the body up for the work of the ministry. And, and I want you to understand this, too. Um, ministry is not a designated line of work for some professional with some degree, okay? Because some of us will be like, ministry? Yeah, I don't even know what that word means. I need a hamburger. It's defined as service. That's what it means. So this includes every aspect or form of spiritual service. All Christians should be in ministry. This is why I share about opportunities to serve here at the church. That's why there's a box, hey, if you want to serve here, you know, if you want to come on a Tuesday in the afternoon and, and serve the children that come here for that, if you want to join the youth ministry and hand out hot dogs at at, at, at at, all, at the high school, off campus, you can do that. If you want to be involved, you're like, Lord, Brian, there's something, I want to do something. Well, well, let's figure something out. If you want to be a part of something, there's something to do here. And you know, sometimes it starts out with the church gets cleaned every Saturday. The, this floor, it's horrible, I know. It's clean, believe it or not. But we have to vacuum and mop and clean the bathrooms and, and the children's ministry center, we do that every single week. It's a great place to start. You're like, well, don't you pay a janitor to do that? No, it's an opportunity to take something and, and say, Lord, this is yours. Help me do it. And out of that, God builds something in us that can't be built otherwise. That's what ministry is, serving. And sometimes it's not easy, but God gives us the ability to do this. Verse 13, Ephesians 4, till we all come. So this is, check it out. All of this is happening, being built up. These gifts are being given to the body for the purpose of equipment until we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You're like, perfect man, what? Perfect person? So all of this is for the equipping of the saints to live in spiritual unity, okay? It's to bring us to a place of maturity in Jesus Christ, growing us to be more like him, okay? Jesus is the standard that we're to live by. And yes, as you grow closer to him and, and your walk with him, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. It's just the way it works. 
But there's a purpose, all of this, to come to the unity until we are in heaven and made perfect, okay? 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 13, verse 12 says this, for now we see in a mirror, okay, a mirror, is it who you are? No, it's a reflection, right? A mirror is a reflection. Now we see in a mirror dimly. In other words, it's not quite clear. So who we are as Christians is as we're walking this out, we're, we, we're barely scratching the surface of who we are in Christ. We're clinging to, to this, the relationship with God and in the mingling and mixing of our frailties and our failures and everything. We're, we're inviting Jesus into the messiness of our human life and he's growing us and making us more like him and it's not gonna stop until we're in heaven because we're in this dimly lit place. We barely see what and who we really are are in Christ, the writer of 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, but then, listen, you guys, face to face. Now I know in part. In other words, right now we know partially who and what we are in Jesus. It's partial. We barely scratch the surface. But Paul's writing Corinthians, he says this, but then I shall know just as I also am known. In the context of being known is how Christ knows him. And Christ knows you and I fully. So one day we will see Jesus literally face to face. And the questions that we have and the struggles that we have and, 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 and the frailties that we have and who we are in him, we, we're barely scratching the surface. When we get to heaven, we will know who we are fully and we will be fully known. It's amazing. There's so much in this verse 13 here. And we can own this. We can say, this is my destiny in Christ. This is who I am in Jesus. This is where I'm going to be. This is what is being given to me in my relationship with him. Till we all, the body of Christ, come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge. In other words, we will come to the unity and the knowledge of who? Jesus, the Son of God. To what? A perfect person. When it says man, it's synonymous to woman and man. To the measure of what? The stature of the fullness of who? Of all you did while you're here on earth? No, the fullness of Christ. The magnitude of verse 13 is just amazing. And that's yours and mine. Verse 14, continuing, that we should no longer listen, that we should, there's a, a switch up here, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So verse 14 says this, no longer be like kids, okay? Children, they, in the aspect of a child, child does not have maturity, okay? They cannot uh, make proper decisions. Go hang out with my four children, even my daughter, 13. She's a very responsible young lady. Go hang out with children. No offense, you know, for the younger kids that are here, but until we have some experience, and I'm 48, and I still don't know everything, I'm still immature. But in the context of this, the writer's saying, don't be like kids anymore. And what happens to the kids? They, get, they don't know right and wrong sometimes, you know? But Paul continues, says, to, to, to no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, every wind, everything that somebody might be saying, you know, oh, the vaccine is the mark of the beast. Well, that's garbage, you know, yeah, there might be a world system that's unfolding for us for that to be able to be brought in the future, but the vaccine's not the mark of the beast. To not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, and, and this, is, this is the imagery of what a boat is like in stormy waves. Now, the, the, the Sea of Galilee was known for all of a sudden, it'd be common and it'd be really, really extremely wavy. Lake Almond was like that, where my family's cabin is. It's like on the clock, 12 o'clock, 
four-foot waves. It's just how it is, okay? But if you don't have an anchor, if a boat is not anchored, we have a mooring ball that's out at Lake Almanor, okay? It's got this huge three-ton weight or whatever it is at the bottom of this chain and this floaty ball on it, and I have a, a tether that can withstand thousands of pounds in wave, and I hook my boat up to it, and I'll hang out there all day long. No matter what the waves are, I know the boat's not going anywhere. Paul's saying, look, you need to be anchored in the truth of who God is. Don't be like a kid. Don't be tossed to and fro, to and fro, carried away with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And but where, what it means here by the trickery of men, this is likened to a person that plays a game with others, never allowing them to win, always tricking them to lose. When doctrine is not solid on the Bible, you will always lose. There's no truth out of it. It has to be foundational. It has to be in the word of God. That's why it's important. Plant yourself under a person who teaches the Bible appropriately. And that may not be me. I don't know. I'm not saying, hey, I'm the guy. But I'm just saying this is what Scripture is telling. This is what Paul's telling the church of Ephesus, okay? That's why I love it. He didn't just say, here's these gifts, and they're just gifts. Look at the man who's got the gift. No, it applied to them as their life, and this is why. So that they wouldn't be children that, you know, unmature so that they wouldn't be tossed to and fro by other things that people say that aren't biblically correct or, you know, and, and that they wouldn't be, you know, tricked by other people in their craftiness and deceitful plotting. See, when the gifts are not operated properly, people will be led away by every spiritual hype and fad. There's churches that are up in Reading that are garbage churches People follow after it. They have all these schools of prophetic gifts and, and, and laughing in the spirit and all these things that conjure up and things that, you know, this big emotional uproar and upheaval and, and, and they've separated from sound doctrine and people follow it in droves. It's very important not to follow after those things. These gifts, okay, that Paul's speaking of here, when these gifts when they're properly used in the body of Christ, it causes believers to have a steadfast, stable walk with Jesus. There's a, an outcome that happens with it, okay? Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. What, love? Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. So we are to speak the truth in love, not being harsh with each other um, in the body or even those that are outside of the body of Christ. You can say good things to people, but if it is not done in love, it is not good at all. All of this, again, is for us to grow up to be mature in Christ in all things pertaining to our life as a Christian. Closing in verse 16, people are like, yes, thank you. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's almost like a Dr. Seuss um, poem here. Sorry, I'm not trying to degrade what God's saying here. This is interesting. The, the, the structure of Paul's writing sometimes fascinates me. So, from whom the whole body. So Christ is the head, okay? The whole body um, is the body of Christ, which are the believers in the church. We're all joined and knit together, just like our human body. 
in our joints in our body that connect our arms and legs and neck and all of our organs together. That's what he's, I love this word picture here. Um, and, 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 and all of our organs are connected together. The joints actually in your body, you know what they do? They supply nutrients to the, to, to the other parts of your body. Like your shoulder, if you took it out and said, oh, my arm's great. No, it wouldn't be. It would just be connected with some skin. You wouldn't be able to use it. And then after a while, it would die and it would fall off because it would have no nutrients. There'd be no flow of, of oxygen and nutrients to your arm. So all of you as believers, all of us in the church, okay, in the church body, we are extremely, you are extremely important, okay? Um, you're important to the nourishment of the body of Christ. Um, like I mentioned, you wouldn't take your shoulder off your body and say, say your arm was good. So I want you guys to know that you're important to the furthering of God's kingdom. God has called all of you to have a place in the body. Um, we are all needed all of us, okay? Every believer in the church is important. There's no one greater than any other, okay? You know, none of you, I'm not greater than you. You're not, we're, we're, we're all one in Christ. Christ is the head and we all have been given a, a portion, okay, that he wants us to operate in. And, and it all points to him and it all is underneath his power and his abilities to move in us. So we're all needed to do our share and this all causes what? It causes growth of the body of Christ, which is the church, building itself up in love. And that word love there is agape, and it's unconditional love. So that's something to mark a, a good fellowship with. Like I mentioned, hearing you guys fellowship and talk and that, you know, there's love and concern and care for each other. It's a marking of, 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 of God doing work in people. Um, his love, man, that, that agape love, it's so important. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. God, thank you so much for your word, for the patience of the hearers, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would um, just teach us and help us to take what we hear from you, God, and apply it to our lives. Um, Lord, I ask that uh, if there's uh, any person here that has a prayer request, Lord, that you would just meet their needs, Lord. You're their, you're their healer, Lord. You're their, their father in heaven. And whatever that might be, I just pray that you do that for them, God. Thank you for this day. And uh, may we just go forth in the truth of who you are um, in us, Lord, and just uh, give us opportunities this week, Lord, to be your hands, your feet, your mouthpiece to those around us. Just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.